to. All right, flip your bulletins back over. And if you've never been here before, we preach through sermon series here. We open up the Bible and we, we do topics. We preach through books of the Bible. The Bible's made up of 66 different books. And so you're, you're right in the middle of a five-week sermon series, if you're here today, called Hashtag BYOF. And, and the, the BYOF stands for Bring Your Own Friend. And so I've, I've, I've opened up the conversation last week about evangelism. And evangelism is simply uh, the understanding that you should share your faith with, with your friends and family. That, that if it's that important, that it's something you should talk about. And the reason we're talking about it is because less than 2% of people that come to church share their faith. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an astronomically low number of people that actually open up their mouth to talk to people about their faith. Yet, it's the only reason you have the faith. So it's a, it's a weird kind of predicament we're in. It's the only reason you're here and your heart's still beating is to share your faith, yet most of us never do. And I think that it, it, it maybe the reason is we don't understand how to do it. And so I just want to make it as simple as possible. And so last week we started with the why uh, of your faith. And here's why it, that is so important, is the why of your faith is so important because what I'm about to, to ask you to do, it hinges on the why. Let me, let me give you an example. If you've been to Journey Church, maybe this is your first day, you'll notice that we're super excited that you're here today. You'll, you'll notice that, that you're going to get a lot of high fives, there's going to be a lot of smiles. If you're from Pennsylvania, it's probably going to freak you out a little bit. You're probably wondering why everybody is happy. And, and I want you to understand, uh, we have really good pot in the back. I'm just joking. And so, no, I want you to understand the reason that, some of you are like, oh, I love this church. So, the reason... The reason that we're so excited uh, is because of what Jesus has done in our life and, and because we, we believe in, in what he wants to do in your life. And so the what that we do, you'll notice what we do is you pull into one of these parking lots and you'll see some dude in a, in a yellow vest, super happy, super excited, waving. Hopefully he was. If not, you know, we're going to replace him next week. And so super excited. And then you notice somebody parked you and then hopefully you got walked in and somebody gave you a high five and somebody gave you a bulletin and maybe you dropped your kids off and they were really happy. And so you're going to yourself, what the heck is this church doing? The what that we do, it's attached to the why. The why is we know how God feels about you. We know how excited that he is to have you in his house today and speak to you. The reason I know how excited that he was is there's a story in the book of Luke chapter 15 talking about a son and a father. The father represents God. The son represents me and you. And we've wandered away from God. And when we've come home, the Bible says that God runs to him. And so what we do is we meet you in the parking lot long before you're ever thinking about what's going to happen. Maybe you're intimidated. We want you to know that the what is attached to the why. And the why is we believe that God is super excited to see you today. And so we are super excited and thrilled that you're, you're here. Here's some more what's. You'll notice when you come into Journey Church at all of our campuses that, that hopefully, if we're doing our job, that, that you're getting seated. And sometimes I think people say, what are you doing trying to seat me? This is America. This is a free country. I sit where I want. I do what I want. I, I, can, I can do it. So, so it's most of the church people have problems with this. They'll come in. They'll, they'll lick their finger. They'll put it up. They'll see exactly where the air is hitting them at the right and the right thing. They'll take the, pick the seat according to the air. They'll pick their seat according to how fast they can get out to lunch. That that only happens in the South. I don't know what's wrong with Southern people. I think it's because they have stuff other than pizza and pasta. And so they, they rush out of church to get food. And, and so it's a big deal. And so sometimes people come in and are like, I'm not, you're not sitting me. And, and that's fine if you want to be a jerk. That's fine. We, do, we sit you. You know, sometimes church people say, I want to sit in the back. It's, it's, it's not as loud. And I always tell them, you don't understand how sound works. Sound works like this. It goes out from the speakers and it just starts banging around the room. And it typically gets louder the farther it gets back. But if you want to sit in the back, that's completely fine. And we're not like, 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 like a Nazi going, you got to sit here. Like this is the way that it is. But we want to seat people up. And so the what is we're seating people. And sometimes people are going, why are you doing that? Well, here's why. 
Because the message that's about to be shared has the potential to change somebody's life. And I know how Satan works because he works like this every week. Something breaks, something doesn't go right. Maybe my alarm doesn't go off in the morning and I accidentally, for the first time ever in the history of my church in 15 years of doing this, and I accidentally wake up on the day that the Cowboys and the Eagles are playing and I put a cowboy colored shirt on on the Sunday after playing the Eagles. Maybe that happens, right? And so all that stuff happens, like, like and all that kind of goes, goes wrong. And so we don't really understand what's going on. Here's what, what, what happens so many times in church is church people come in late, right? Because they're only thinking about themselves, and so where's the best air, where's the best seat, I needed more sleep this morning, I was really tired last night, and so they come in really late, and they just walk in, and they're not thinking, wow, I've now just become this, the center of this worship experience, because as everybody's trying to focus on, on Jesus and watch him move, I'm trying to figure out my seat, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, so what we do is we try to sit from the front forward so you don't become the center of the attention. So the what is we try to seat, the why is because it's not all about you, are you with me? Sometimes people bring their kids in church, like, a, not, I'm not talking about like a baby, I'm talking about like a six-year-old, right? Six-year-old hypothetically has a pair of squeaky shoes on, I don't know why. They make six-year-old squeaky shoes, but they do, and the parent allows them to wear it to church and won't take their kid to kids' church, and so the what is, hey, you need to take your kid to kids' church, you need to take, you're so mean, no, 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 you need to understand what we're doing is attached to the why. The why is because your kid's going to run around the back seat when the, when the altar call starts to happen and all we're going to hear is, and there's... There's some addict, or there's somebody divorced, or there's somebody cutting themselves, or there's somebody who's bulimic, or there's somebody who has no value, and they're about to have a chance to respond to the gospel, and as they're having a chance to respond to the gospel, they're hearing, <laughs> so your kid, once again, is not the center, I know that your kid is the center of your universe, which is a mistake, we could do a parenting series on that, but they are not the center of the universe. <laughs> not a fan of me, right? Sometimes you can't pay for that stuff. So listen, the why is connected to the what. The, the what is important, but if you don't understand the why, so let me explain to you the why one more time. The why of what we're doing is it answers, the gospel answers the question that hurts everybody's life, that exists in everybody's life. Here it is, ready? Everybody that you run into, no matter who they are, where they've been, what they're going through, what they believe, everybody has a sin problem. We all do. It affects our lives. It leads us down the path. We're supposed to lead. It promises us things that can never pay us. It's always about sin. And here's the thing about sin. Sin separates us from God now and forever. So the, the bad news about the, about, about the mess of the Bible is everybody's in the same boat and everybody's running away from God and everybody's hurt and everybody ultimately without God ends up in, in hell. The wages of sin is death. And some of you go, God's so mean. And I go, no, God's so good. He didn't make hell for, for us. Sin is where, or hell is where sinners go. He did everything that he could possibly, that's the gospel, the good news. He sent his son, his son stepped out of eternity into this world, died on my cross and saved my sins. I make the mess, he cleans it up. That's the why, and listen, when you understand the why, then you'll begin to say, okay, what am I supposed to do with it? And here's the problem. When you think about somebody, whether you're in church or out of church, sharing their faith with you, you get all, you get all sorts of bad images in your head. You think about somebody standing on the street corner with a, bot, with a little sign telling you you're going to hell. You think about, you know, some people dressed in, in denim walking around the city in the midst of the first Friday and passing, like, like just happened to me yesterday. I was in Audis, right? We just had got back from Costco. I went to Costco on a Saturday at 5 o'clock. And here's, here's why that's a bad idea. Number one, Costco is really busy on Saturday. And at 5 o'clock, they pick up all the free, the free appetizers and the free, the free supplies that you can take. So you know how you go through Costco or Sam's or BJ's or wherever you go, and you just kind of taste stuff, and you just eat stuff, and you're like, I just fed my family dinner. 
Well, apparently Costco doesn't do that at 5 o'clock because they closed at 6 o'clock. And so we got there at 5 o'clock, there was no free samples anywhere. So I'm walking with my family through here, and we only got a half an hour to get stuff. And, you know, Leah, Leah's yelling at me, and I'm yelling at her because we only have a half an hour to get, you know, the large box of, of toilet paper and the large box of cereal and the large box of, uh, of whatever else that my kids need and eat and, and spend all my money. And so we're going through. And then when we're done, she's like, we got to go to Audi's now. Now, Audi's, if you have a family, is a revelation you need to understand. Audi's will save you a million dollars over your lifetime. I guarantee it. It's so cheap. So we go to Audi's, and we're going there, and I'm like, listen, I'm done. I got no samples at, at, at Costco. I'm tired of watching these three boys. It's, it's going anywhere with three little boys is crazy because once they get out to too big where you can't put them in the, like the cart anymore, you know, you're in trouble. And so Carter's eight. His legs don't fit through the holes anymore, so he has to walk now. And so I'm done. I'm just going to sit here. So we get in. We, I try to put the movie on for them. The movie doesn't work because they always touch the outside where, where you're not supposed to touch on the DVD player. And so they're messing up the movie. Lion King keeps stopping, whatever's in there. So they're, they're doing what they do when they don't have entertainment, acting like idiots. I'm inside of this this box with them. I'm in Audis and I'm tired, right? And all of a sudden I get a knock on my door. And I, listen, sometimes stuff happens, like, like, like when I'm talking about kids screaming and kids screams, or when, 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 when I'm talking about this, and something happens, you're like, God, that's you. Like, I have not get, gotten a track for years, because when people walk up to me with a track, I look at them like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill you if you give me that track right now. Don't even talk to me. I'm already saved, right? And so she walked up, and I didn't see her. She knocked, and I was, I was startled. I looked up, and she was standing there. She was standing in her, her denim skirt, you know, because that's the way it always is. And, you know, this bun in her hair. And it looked like, it, it looked like she was, a, like, I didn't know if she was a hipster or, you know, a fundamentalist Christian. I didn't know what she was. And so she knocked on the door, and she just hands me these tracks, and she just runs. And I opened them up, and it was like, so you want to, it says, what's this? So you want to know why? And I'm like, no. So you want to know why I go to church on Saturday? And I, I started, I'm like, and this is the problem with evangelism. Because this is what, because only 2% of people do what God has equipped and called them to do, we have to come up with all sorts of what I would call the atom bombs of, of evangelism. Hey, I'm just going to drop something on you and I'm going to run. And the person you drop it on is going, this is exactly why I don't go to church. This is exactly why I will never go to church with you. Because you dropped something on me. I don't understand it anyways. And you ran and I think there's a better way to do it. And so I want to show you today the what you should do or what evangelism is as you respond to, to the why. I want to take you to a passage in the Bible in, in John uh, chapter 1. And I want you to remember this as we begin to teach. Uh, your job is not to win people to Jesus. Only Jesus wins people to Jesus. Your job is to bring people to Jesus. I think we're so, we're so concerned with, with having questions that we can't answer and situations that we're not going to know our way out. Your job is simply to bring people to Jesus, you don't win any, anybody. You don't win anybody. So here's what the Bible says in John chapter 1, verse number 30, 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. That's the story of all of us in this place that have faith in Christ. We're walking around in our, our life in the messes that we've made. We end up maybe in church or around somebody that has faith, and we respond to the gospel. And I think some Christians think they found God, but the truth is God found them. You, you show up at church, September 20th, 2015, somebody's been inviting you for a long time, you finally oblige because they're taking you to a free lunch, and you think, okay, I'm just going to do what I'm supposed to do because I'm going to hold up my end of the bargain, and you don't realize God has set this whole thing up. He's given the person that's going to take you out to lunch, the, the resources to take you out to a good lunch, not to fast food. He's opened up the seat you're sitting in. He's been thinking about you long before you're ever thinking about him. Jesus finds Philip, the Bible says, and Jesus really simply says, follow me. Follow me. 
Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip then finds Nathanael and he tells him, I think I found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, he says, can anything good come from there? You ever been there with somebody? I think I found the answer in life. I went to church. It changed my life. Come. And they go, I'm not going. Church is whack. Everybody I've ever met from church is crazy. And you start, you start crying or you get mad or, or you get indignified or you just lose, you, you're crazy. You don't know. And then some Christians, this is the, you're going to hell anyway. See you later. <laughs> and you just walk away. I want you to take notice. Philip and Nathaniel are friends. I want, they're, they're related. I want you to see how he responds to, to Nathaniel because Nathaniel, if we, we read the Bible, read it quick, but the, the Bible puts an exclamation point. So he's like, Nazareth, pfft. you're dumb if you believe in this. And this is what Philip says. He says, come and, come and see. What, what, what a response. Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said to him, here truly is an Israelite in, him, in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel says, how do you know me? I love when that happens in church. You don't explain it, just come and see. And people come and see and they say stuff like, it felt like the pastor was just talking to me. And, and, and the truth is, as a pastor, you want to go, yeah, I'm just that good. I'm just, I, just, I knew you, God told me you were going to sit in that seat, I'm just talking to you. The truth is, I'm just a moron that's plagiarizing the words of the Bible right now. I'm nothing. When somebody says, it's like, it's like you were talking, what they mean is the word of God was speaking to my heart and revealing and telling me things that I didn't know anybody else knew about me. That's what Jesus does right here. And then it says this, it says, Nathaniel asked, Jesus answered, I saw you while you were under a fig tree before you ever came. In other words, long before you were ever thinking about me, I was watching and thinking about you. Here's a couple things about evangelism. You ready? Number one is this, that I think all of us can learn from. Number one, evangelism is simply sharing something you love with someone you love. It's sharing something you love with someone that you love. That's all that it is. I'm going to give you this disclaimer as I kind of, kind of get you trying to understand this. Being or getting old is awful. Anybody over the age of 35... You're old. You're with me. We're, we're old. And so if you're over the age of 35, you don't need to put your hand up because I don't want everybody to know how old you are. But, but what you would say with, with me at Limerick here, Bob, Pastor Bob, just so you know, he's almost 40, so he's really old, right? And so uh, he's the oldest person on our staff. I'm the second oldest, but I still got a lot of life in me. So I'm 35 years old. But let me tell you something about me, my personal life, about getting old. Here, here's what it is. You ready? Being old stinks because stuff starts to go wrong, right? Like you start to have like aches and pains. It's not a lie. Like I remember used to listen to people. I'm like, you're just out of shape. You, you're just, you're just not going to take care of your body. Like, like, like I'm going to take care of my body. You're just not an athlete. Like I'm an athlete. And so you have problems. When I'm 35, I'm going to be fine. And then you get to be 33, 34, 35 and gray hair starts to appear and wrinkles start to come and, and you thin, you start to thin on, this is so funny about getting old, you thin where you don't want to thin and you widen where you don't want to widen. It's the weirdest thing in the world. So you lose hair and you gain weight and so you're like, and then you're like, well, I used to eat, because we, we, we've been going to Audis and so we get all these little Debbies and all this stuff because they're only a dollar and so we load up because our kids love them. But when I was a kid, I remember, I was telling my wife yesterday, I used to come home and I would eat a box of little Debbies for snack, like I would just get them out, the little little peanut butter with, with, the, with the, the chocolate with the peanut butter inside of them, and I would just I would eat the, pe- the chocolate around, and then I would eat the peanut butter with the little cake, the little tandy cakes, whatever they're called. I would eat like six of those with two with two in each one, so twelve of those with a glass of milk every day. If I did that now, like I, this stage would not hold me, right? Like that's what would happen. Getting old is hard. So a few years ago, 
No lie, I started to get old and older and older, and my back started to hurt. I woke up, and my back was tight, and, 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 and I had trouble doing stuff, and when I would reach for something, I'd be like, oh. So I was in a conversation with somebody else that was old, too, one time. We were complaining about being old, and I said to him, I said, my back hurts. He said, my back used to hurt as well, but I got this book, and I started to read this book, and I did this stuff in this book, and I'm going to pass this book on to you because I think it could help you out. And so I did what any old person did. I was like, well, you, it might have helped you out because you're old, but I'm not old. I don't need a book. He said, just read the book. So I took the book home, and apparently I started to understand in, in, in terms of automobiles. So when I was young, I was like a Ferrari, and all you need to do is when you get up, you just turn the Ferrari on, no matter if it's cold, hot, whatever, you just go, right? But, but now you're like an 87 Buick, and so you don't just turn a Buick on in the morning, go, if it's cold, which your body's cold, you don't just go. You got to take a Buick, and listen, I know Buick's making a comeback. I've seen the commercials. They're still Buicks, and so anyway, my wife the other day was like, have you seen the Buicks? And I'm like, it's a Buick. That's like when somebody says, I got a minivan, and they're like, it's cool, and you're like, a minivan is, listen, if you have one, I get it, but it's not cool. It doesn't matter how many times they tell you the minivans are cool, it, minivans are minivans, right? Buicks are Buicks, so I'm like a Buick now, and so when you go to start a Buick up, it's cold, you got to turn on, and you got to warm it up before you try to take it anywhere. So the book said this, the book said you need to get up in the morning, you need to stretch out. I've never stretched out in my life. I can't touch my toes. So it shows you all these, these things to do. You lay in your bed, do this yoga stuff, and you stretch out. And all of a sudden, my back started feeling better. It was the weirdest thing in the world. So one old hurt back person shared it with another old back hurt and back pain person. And then what was so funny is a few weeks later, I talked to another old person. They were like, man, my back's starting to hurt. I was like, I got a book for you. <laughs> and I started thinking to myself, that's how faith is shared. Do, do you know... There's, there's, there's a bunch of people here today, there's a bunch of people first service, a bunch of people in Limerick, a bunch of people in Plymouth meeting. Do you understand that there, if we say there's, all of us represent 100% of the people, that's like a math thing, and you broke the, 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 the math problem up into numbers of people that were here for reasons they were here, I want you to see this because this is so telling. Do you know 3% or 3 out of 100 people are, are in church today because they had a special need? I was like, you know, I, I, I'm struggling with an addiction, I'm struggling with a marriage, I think I'm going to go to church, which by the way, most people never do. Church is never anybody's first option. It's not like I'm struggling, I'm going to go to church. That was maybe in the old history of America, but that's not where people look anymore. So 3%. 3% said they just walked in. They're just driving by, they saw a church, they decided I'm just going to walk in, which never happens in Pennsylvania, by the way. 6%, this is kind of sad, it said they liked the minister. So I have a 6% successful, success rate, and so it makes me feel great about myself, about as great as wearing this shirt today. So anyway... 1% said I visited there, 5% said they liked the Bible classes, 0.5% said they went to a special meeting, 3% said they liked the programs, the kids' programs. Check this out. 79% or 80% of people that are in our church today said, said the reason they're here is because they were invited personally by a friend or family member. 8 out of 10 people that are here right now are, are here today because somebody's back was hurting and your back was hurting and they said, I found the answer evangelism is simply you saying to somebody you love talking about something that that you have now loved like anyways this changed me and I know it can change you let me share it with you that's all that Philip did the Bible says Philip comes to Nathaniel and says I, I, I found I think I found the one Philip finds Nathaniel here's another thing about it that I think it, that I think is so important is evangelism real evangelism good evangelism invites in a language that is understandable do you realize that most of what we talk about in in church and Christianese is completely ununderstandable if that's a word to the world 
Like you, you start coming to church and you become more like church people and you become less like the world and you become more effective at talking to church people than you do at talking about unchurched people. You use all sorts of language that nobody understands. You understand in this passage how, how Philip came to Nathaniel? They're, they're Jewish men. They're living in, in a time when the Roman Empire is over the Jewish people. The Jewish people have been hearing for years, hundreds of years, that God will send them a Messiah. And their belief is that Messiah is going to help them be a king, an earthly king that's going to help them set up the most powerful empire. So they're waiting. That's why you have the sects like the Pharisees who are very, very religious and they believe they can usher in God. If they're very good, they can get God to respond to them. That's religion. We do it all the time. Stuff's going bad. I'm going to get really good. And hopefully if it's really good, God will get better and more happy with me and my life will go better. Because if it's going bad, it's because God is, is mad at me. If it's going good, it's because God is thrilled with me, which by the way is not the gospel at all. Sometimes when God is the most thrill, thrilled with you, he allows you to go through some pain because he understands it's through that pain that you'll become who you're supposed to be. So you have the situation where, where Nathaniel's there, and he comes and he speaks to Nathaniel, and he says, listen, the one we've been reading about in our textbooks, we learned about in school, the one that Moses talked about, I think I found him. He speaks in a language where Nathaniel could understand. I mean, he's still a little bit concerned. You're going to see that in a second, but at least he understands. For most time, the reason we're not effective at sharing our faith is we talk to people in language that they're never going to understand. Let me give you like certain things that Christians say that nobody else understands, but maybe you'll understand better just so we can have a little fun. Like when a Christian says, I'll pray about it. If you have a friend that's a Christian, he says, I'll pray about it. What he means is, no, I just don't want to tell you no to your face. That's what that means. I remember when me and my wife started dating, and she said, I'll pray about it, right? The first time I asked her out, she said, she said, I'll pray about it. I knew that meant no. We were in Bible college, right? You didn't want to let, like, no, okay. Like, I'll pray about it. No, you, you, want, you want to help me move? I'll pray about it. <laughs> if you ever ask me, that's the response you'll get. You want to help me move? I'll pray about it. God told me not to help you. Here's the other thing. Listen, when, when a Christian or a group of Christians say, we need to pray for so-and-so, this is what they mean. Guess what I just heard? When a Christian says bless his or her heart, what they mean is you're an idiot. That's what Christians mean. Like if I, I'm just going to tell you're an idiot. I'm not going to say bless your heart. Bless your heart. When a Christian says I was having fellowship with them, what they mean is they were having soda and pizza or whatever you drink, soda and pizza, and we watched the Eagles beat the Cowboys. That's what fellowship is. Nobody knows what fellowship is outside the church. When a Christian says I don't mean to judge but, what they mean is I'm going to judge you right now. When you're dating a Christian and they say God wants me to take some time off of this relationship, what they mean is I've met someone else and I'm too coward to break up with you right now. And when a Christian says I'm fasting, what they mean in America is I've gained too much weight and I need to lose some weight. Because a real Christian who's fasting doesn't tell anybody they're fasting. Are you with me? I know. Even on social media, you just don't do it. So you speak, listen, you speak in languages that people, like, this is what it'd be like. It'd be like me going to France and instead of learning how to say bonjour, it means hello, insisting as an American, I'm going to go around and say hello and explain to everybody. Hello! Huh? It means bonjour. It means hi. Hi. Instead of me going, when I go here, I'm going to speak the language they understand. So here's how it works in my life. Many times, instead of me going, Jesus is my Lord and my Savior, people are like, what does that mean? I'll say, Jesus is, is the one who created me, and he's the one who set me free, and, and here's who I was, and here's who I am now, and it's only because of, of Jesus. There's a difference. He's still my Lord. you got to say he's your Lord and Savior. No, no, no. You need to understand the way the Bible was written so, well, so that people in that time and that age and in that culture would understand it. There's things that we can go, hey, the message isn't changing, but the method and the wording is so that somebody outside of the church could understand it. Instead of saying, you need to repent, which people are like, well, if I was, I'd be like, what is that? 
It would be, listen, you're running away from, from God. He has a, a, a distinct plan for your life, but you need to stop running away and you need to run to him. And here's the thing about when you run to God, you're going to find his arms wide open to you because his arms have been wide open to you ever since you were born. You speak in a language that people can understand. In fact, in the book of Acts chapter 15, it says very distinctly as this church is kind of moving in a culture that's non-Christian, they come up with this understanding and this plan. We're going to make it as easy as possible for people to get back to God. Some people say, why do you do church the way that you do it? Because we're going to make it as easy as possible for your friends and your family to get back to God. Here's number three, and I'm going to end with, with one more, two more. Evangelism allows for disbelief and sentences. And this is a good one as you go out. Some of you are like, I'm going to start to do this. Listen to what happens. Nathaniel, he gets invited by Philip, and then he goes off. Nazareth, can anything good come from here? In other words, what he's saying is, you're stupid, Philip. I don't know if you've ever been there when you've asked somebody to come to church. Hey, come to church with me. You're dumb. You believe in God? Didn't you see evolution? Haven't you heard about Hillary Clinton? Don't you know all these things? Don't you understand that we're so much smarter? We've, we've evolved and our brains are above that. How can you believe in a creator? You believe the world's only this many years old? They've proven by rocks that they found and some kind of theory that they have that the world is billions of years old. They've proven it. You're an idiot. And here's the thing when that happens, because inside of me I'm going, you're the idiot. You're the idiot. You're the idiot who keeps wallowing around, wallowing around in your sin. You're the idiot who keeps looking and never finding. You're the idiot. But I got to step back and I got to go, okay, how, how does God want me to respond? Because here's the thing with so many Christians is you invite somebody to church or you live out your faith and somebody judges you. You get online, you let everybody know that somebody's judged you. You start to use Bible verses to spite them and smite them and do everything else, right? And all this stuff goes wrong. And here's what's happening. You're winning the argument with people. You're losing the soul. So Philip has two choices. He can either get really mad at Nathaniel, walk away, be like, whatever, you're dead to me, I found Jesus. Or he can respond the way that he responds. He responds in a loving, graceful way, which is the exact same way Jesus responded. When he's on the cross, he looks at the people that are mocking him. He's dying for them in their place, and they're mocking him and spitting on him. And Jesus doesn't go, yo, big guy, bring a, bring a, bring a lightning bolt right now. Wipe this place out. Jesus doesn't rip his hands and his feet off the cross. Right? Like, he could have done all that. I mean, my Jesus would, right? Jesus looks at them and he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Father, I'm, I'm here for them. I'm not worried about how they feel about me. I'm going to tell you how I feel about them. See, see, evangelism, it allows for people to be cynical and have disbelief. And by the way, we've earned that reputation. We, we've earned the reputation where people go and go, man, the church is full of hypocrites. The church is full of angry people. The church is full of people that are judgmental. We've earned that reputation. And so it's our job to re-kind of re-evolve and re-figure out and readjust the way. We're not changing the message, but we are readjusting the way that we do it. We're making it as easy as possible, and we are okay. And listen to how Philip responds to him. He doesn't go, you're wrong, Nathaniel. He goes, come and see. I know you have all these questions and disbelief. That's okay. Come and see. My God can handle that. This guy can handle your questions. Come and see. It happened another time in the Bible when a blind man was healed by Jesus. Jesus spit in mud, put it on his eyes, told him to walk to a pool. He gets healed. All the religious people start freaking out. They want to know if he was healed on the Sabbath. They want to know who this Jesus claimed to be. And he stops him. He says, I don't know who Jesus is, but I know I was blind and now I see. 
Some of you are so young in your faith and you, you're scared to share because you think you're going to have to have to have all the answers. And I think this is so, such a good thought. You don't have to know everything about Jesus to just invite somebody into his presence because number four is really important. You need to remember this as you begin to walk out your faith and share, share it with other people. Number four, you know and I know that only Jesus can do the heavy lifting. Only Jesus does the heavy lifting. You don't win people to the Lord. Your job is to bring people into his presence. Only Jesus does the heavy lifting. Sometimes people will send us messages. I just, we just got one this week from somebody at our church. And it just said something like this because we all have friends. We have friends that, that don't live the way the Bible calls them to live. We have friends that are outside of what the Bible calls us, right? We have friends that act like sinners, which, by the way, is what they are and what we were before we met Christ. It's not, it's not a surprise when, when, when somebody who's far from Christ acts like somebody who's far from Christ. You don't expect somebody's life to change before they know the one who changes their life. You don't expect someone to walk out forgiveness until they met the forgiver. You don't expect someone to be a certain way until they meet the person who empowers and equips them to be that way. So we'll get messages from people like this. It's always, it's always right now, our hot topic is, is sexuality, homosexuality, uh, uh, abortion, uh, this thing. So what, do you, what will you allow in your church? I love that question. Will you allow this type of person, put the blank there. Will you allow this, this person who cross-dresses in your church? Will you allow this person who, who is openly gay in your church? Will you allow this person? And I always say the same thing. Yes, absolutely. Sometimes Christians get all judgmental, and I always think about them and their life, and I always wonder to myself, I wonder if anybody knows who you really are. You've got to remember, it was those that were most sick in the Bible that were most judgmental. And I'll say yes. And then they say, well, what do you believe about it? And I say, well, I believe what the Bible teaches. I believe that they're living in sin, and I believe that they're wrong, but I believe that for me to yell to them before they ever get into the presence of God that they need to change would, would be wrong to them because they'll never change until they meet the one who changes. They'll, they'll, never, they'll never change their identity until they meet the one who, who is their identity. They'll never be able to do that until this, and so what I always say is, come. Come and see, and what's so cool is they get into God's presence, and the exact same thing that happens to Nathaniel happens to them. Nathaniel gets there, he's all skeptical, he's disbelieved, nothing good comes from Nazareth, huh, I'm here, and Jesus looks at him and he says, hey, I was watching you when you were sitting under that fig tree, could you, could you imagine, he's going, what, I saw you, in other words, I was thinking about you before you were thinking about me, I love when that happens in church, when somebody comes into the presence of God and he says, I, I saw what happened to you. I saw what happened to you when you were abused. I saw what happened to you when you were abandoned. I saw what happened to you when the words were spoken over your life. I saw what happened to you. I saw what happened to you when you shot the drug up. I saw what happened to you when you had the abortion. I saw what happened to you. And instead of hearing, I saw what happened to you, get away from me, you hear. I saw what happened to you, welcome home. Welcome home. Join the club. Because you see Philip, you see Peter, you see Andrew, you see the worst of the worst. You see I'm about to get Matthew, the tax collector. I'm about to turn a murderer into the greatest apostle. His name was Paul. Join the club. We are all saved by grace. We are all sinners and we all need a savior. And you understand Jesus ultimately does the heavy lifting. You don't explain Jesus' love. You can't even grasp it. You just received it. I don't stand up in here and try to put words to it. I can't, I can't even do it justice. I want to do my best, and then I want to get out of the way because I know the Holy Spirit has been moving since we opened up our doors. The Bible says he's here right now, and he is speaking to individuals. 
and I don't have to do the heavy lifting as a pastor, and the band doesn't have to do the heavy lifting, and you don't have to do the heavy lifting in your life. You get people into the presence of God, and Jesus changes them forever. He speaks into the parts that were darkest. Darkest, he brings hope into the situations that were hopeless. He brings forgiveness into the situations where you're bitter, where you're angry. He brings healing. He is your healer. He is your savior. He is your Lord. He is the answer to your pain. He's the one who died in your place on a cross. And maybe you don't understand everything that's going on. Would you just understand that long before he thought about, you were thinking about him, that he, friend, was thinking about you and he knew you were going to be here in this moment at this time in history. And he's knocking. And the question is, will you respond to him today? Would you stand with me all over our houses? Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes? We're about to get out of here in a moment. And I, listen, I know as soon as I say bow your heads and close your eyes that, that thoughts and distractions fill your head. I want you to understand, I don't believe you're here by accident today. I believe you were brought to this moment for, in time so that Jesus could change you, impact you, reach you. Whether you're young, whether you're old. I know one thing happens in all of our lives. We all live this life. None of us go through life without scars. For some of us, our scars, our, our situations, our anger, our bitterness, our resentment, those that have abandoned us, our disappointments, they become what we build our life on. When we have all those disappointments, anger, and resentment, we, we usually search for answers, and we never really find the answer, and so what we do is we just cope. Our, our security, our identity is weakened, and so we just cope. We find a relationship that fails us. We look to a, a substance that only numbs us. We... We seek out happiness and never find it. It's how we all live life. It's what I would call a cycle. We get hurt. It takes identity and shape in us, and we, we run our life in this cycle trying to disprove it or living with it. And here's the thing. All of you in this place, in response to that, you would have lived just kind of as somebody who just is stepping and carrying and walking with your pain at a Limerick campus and and holding it. And the Bible is clear in the, in, the, in the gospel that Jesus said, if you're weary, heavy laden, if that's your life, come to me and I'll give you rest. You won't carry that pain anymore. You won't carry those, those scars. Your identity won't be found there anymore. Because it's in him and him alone that you're made whole. It's in him and him alone that your sins are forgiven. It's in him and him alone when you meet the forgiver that you're able to forgive those See, for so many of us, we think that it's our bitterness and our unforgiveness and our resentment that will get that person back, not understand. And that's like biting yourself and expecting it to help to hurt the other person. The only way to get over something like that is to give it to Jesus. And the Bible says that 2,000 years ago, he came to this earth. They put him on trial. He was found not guilty, but they killed him anyways. They made him walk down a road to the place he would die, carrying his cross. That was your cross. They nailed him to the cross. They put him in the ground. They stood him up between two thieves. And he hung there. And in his final words, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. In his final breath, he forgave one of the thieves on the cross that was hanging and dying of death. He should have died and promised him eternity. He already was saving people and forgiving people. He was placed in a tomb after he died. And they tried to end his story. They tried to stop it. On the third day, the Bible says that, that he rose from the dead. That the stone that was sealed with the Roman guards in front of it 
that it was rolled away and Jesus walked out victorious, but not without scars. The scars were so that he could show us how much he loved us. He shows us his hands and he shows us his feet. He said, these scars, they represent the pain that I carried on my body for you so that you didn't have to carry your pain one more day. He's the healer of hearts. He's the mender of futures. He's the one who restores hope. He's the one who breaks addictions. He's the one who restores your security and your identity. It's found in Christ. You are not your sin. You are not a, a, a result of what's been done to you. You can be a result of what was done for you on a cross 2,000 years ago. And the Bible was clear that it is simple to get to him. He's done all the work to get to you, friend. You weren't just invited here by a friend today. That God used that person as a tool to get you here. But he set this meeting up. And the Bible says he's knocking at the door of your heart. From the youngest teenager to the oldest person in this place. That he's knocking at the door of your heart. That your story is not over. That your best days are ahead of you, not, not behind you. And the Bible is clear that the way you respond to this gospel is you repent and you believe that Jesus is Lord. And the Bible says you will be saved. And every week we ask people to respond the same way. I have three little boys. When they need me, they come to me with their hands up. And that tells me without them even saying it, Daddy, I need you to pick me up. I'm going to ask you to place your hand up in the sky as a sign to God. He's here right now, a sign to God. Daddy, Father, I need you right now. I need you to be my Lord and my Savior, to come in and forgive my sins and set me free. So if you're in this place and you say, Pastor, I don't have a relationship with you, would you just simply shoot your hand up in the air as a sign to God? I need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I need to have a relationship. I see your hand right here. I need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ right now. I'm going to pray a prayer with you as we close. If you've never been in church before, prayer is just you talking to God like you talk to a friend. If you're in this place, I'm going to give you one more second to respond, one more moment to respond. At our Limerick campus, I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I'm going to ask him to come into my, to my pains and my hurt. I'm weary, I'm heavy laden, I need rest today. At our Limerick campus, Pastor Bob is standing there. Just shoot your hand up in the air. It's just a sign to God, God, I need you to save me. I need you to rescue me. I need you to set me free. I need you to be my Lord and my Savior. I'm going to walk out of this place, a new creation. Is there anybody else in this place? Say, Pastor, that's me, that's me. Would you pray with me, church, at both of our campuses watching online? I see your hand right there, right before I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray with you right now. If you didn't put your hand up, you just pray with me. God knows you. He knows who you are. He knows where you're at. He knows what you're going through. He knows you better than you know yourself. You just pray. You just pray. Jesus, we love you. We're so thankful for this day. There's some in this place they've never prayed before. So this is what they're going to pray. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I don't know the whole message. I don't even understand the whole message. But I can feel the love and the knocking at my heart. So Jesus, I believe what this pastor is saying, that the Bible was true, that you died on a cross for my sins, that the wages of my sins should have been death, but you paid for it for me. That I made a mess of my life, and the cross, the resurrection, it cleans it up. I believe you died, you were put into a tomb, and on the third day you rose from the dead. I believe you ascended to heaven, and I believe you sit at the right hand of God, the Bible says, and you intercede for your children to come home. So right now, we can see it right now. You're calling out to these people by name. They're feeling love. They're feeling hope. They're feeling the peace that surpasses all understanding. They're feeling the joy, that unspeakable joy. They're receiving the gift of salvation, and it's going to change everything about their life. Everything. The Bible says when we get forgiven, our sins are forgiven as far as the east is from the west. That we walk out of this place, and what was true of us before we got here is no longer true of us anymore. 
We have a new purpose. This is the best day of the rest of our lives, Lord. And you have so much more work to do with us. The exact same way that you met Philip and Philip got Nathaniel. There's somebody in this place. They're giving their life to you right now. And they're going to do so much good in and through their life. You're going to bring so much glory to you, Lord, through their life, Lord. You're going to equip them to share their, their faith with their friends, their new faith with their family. Even before they know everything about you, Jesus, they know what you've done. And all we're doing in this world is saying, come and see. It's not about us. It's not about how good we are. It's not about how religious we are, how much Bible we need. Lord, it's just about us getting people into the presence of God. So I'm thankful, Father, for what you did in this place. I'm thankful for those that, that have been encouraged and equipped to go into this world this week and to accomplish great things for your kingdom. Jesus, your word never returns void, and we are thankful for that. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Would you clap with me, church?